At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So Philip K. Dick had this theory that time was an illusion and that we were all actually in 50 AD. And the reason he had written this book was that he had somehow momentarily punctured through this illusion, this veil of time. And what he had seen there was what was going on in the book of Acts. And he was really into uh, Gnosticism and this idea that this demiurge or demon had created this illusion of time to make us forget you know, that Christ was about to return and the kingdom of God was about to arrive. And that we're all in 50 AD and there's someone trying to make us forget, you know, that, you know, God is imminent. And that's what time is. That's what all of history is. It's just kind of this continuous, um, you know, daydream or distraction. Now, Philip K. Dick is right about time, but he's wrong that it's 50 AD. Actually, there's only one instant and it's right now and it's eternity. And it's an instant in which God is posing a question. And that question is basically, do you want to, you know, be one with eternity? Do you want to be in heaven? And we're all saying, no thank you, not just yet. And so time is actually just this constant saying no to God's invitation. I mean, that's what time is. I mean, and it's no more 50 AD than it's 2001, you know? I mean, there's just this one instant and that's what we're always in. One moment in time, as I keep saying, with a shifting hologram that keeps us away from saying yes to divinity. The Demiurge created a hologram and now we're trapped in it. And it's so obvious this year as Yaldi openly devours our awareness, like baby Yoda eating alien frog eggs while the simulation breaks down even more and the mind-killer fear envelops the globe. And it's going to continue beyond the holidays, my beloved true seekers. The apocalypse isn't interested in your calendars, as fundagelicals have been saying for centuries. It's not. Let go of numerology or astrology because this is beyond cosmic. A dark archetype descending upon the desert of the real. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. The only escape is to say yes to divinity. And that requires us to go inward. Embrace that divine madness Plato, the Hermetics, and the Gnostics taught. 
and unleash our inner Prometheus and indwelling warrior Athena. This may not be the best time to be alive, but it's the best time to be awake. And eternity hasn't gone anywhere. It's there for your taking, and it's more visible to us freaks and outcasts. We who have lived with divine madness since the day we were born. It's there. Junkies and masochists and hookers and those who have squandered everything are the ring of brightest angels around heaven. The way out is way out, and we always need that reminder of divine madness. You know we'll be talking about the gnosis of Philip K. Dick. We'll add two heavy doses of Robert Anton Wilson and other lords of high weirdness, as well as cover the topics of psychedelics, eastern mysticism, pharmaceuticals, cyberpunk, runaway technology, tyranny, and more. But I don't want to go among mad people. For all of this, we have the honor of being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by Jack Hart, who will be discussing his three technostics books. Incredible reads that provide so many tools to say yes to divinity, as you will see. And yes, Spastomy! This is madness! Mush! Mush! Aeon by Gnostic Radio. An initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult culture and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird, this is the blow-your-mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. And you deserve to be here, for you are a shining crazy diamond that sees the divine invasion of Emmanuel Philip K. Dick wrote about, and embrace your divine madness. You're not like the meat sacks cowering in their homes and behind the promises of oligarchs. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. As Dick himself wrote in The Divine Invasion, What a tragic world this is. Those down here are prisoners. And the ultimate tragedy is that they don't know it. They think they are free because they never have been free and do not understand what it means. This is a prison and few men have guessed. But I know, Emmanuel said to himself, because that is why I am here. To burn the walls, to tear down the metal gates, to break each chain. Those without swords can still die upon them. I fear neither death nor pain. What do you fear, my lady? A cage. Ready to break chains and tear down walls and finally say yes to divinity? Sure, 
It seems Dick's prophetic and Gnostic warning never included pandemics. Although he spoke about the holy virus that was the plasmate, which took the shape of the Nag Hammadi library. But as Chris Knowles said, Dick knew better than anyone the game the Archons play. And today they are indeed laying all their satanic, build back better cards on the effing table. As Terry Gilliam once said, For everyone lost in the endlessly multiplicating realities of the modern world, remember, Philip K. Dick got there first. Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Human beings are the only animal that forms ideas about their world. We perceive it, not through our bodies, but through our minds. We must agree on what is real. Because of this, we are the only animal on Earth that goes mad. Dick got there first, and he is just one member of the Aeon Bite Pantheon, providing those red pill suppositories that crack real nice in the outer rectums of reality. I know it's been hard, but we're only getting started. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets tough, the weird turn professional. You know what crazy is? Crazy is majority rules. Yeah, uh. And as Dick wrote too, the true measure of man is not his intelligence or how high he rises in this freak establishment. No, the true measure of a man is this. How quickly can he respond to the needs of others and how much of himself he can give. The third principle of sentient life is its capacity for self-sacrifice, for a cause, a loved one, or for a friend. Yes, I know it's hard right now, but you can overcome, even as depression might have invaded your psyche. As Rachel Connerly told me in an email, Depression and addiction are our ego's way to assuage the different complexes, many of those egregores created by that wickedness in high places. This may lead to dark and even suicidal thoughts. But the suicide impulse comes from a knowing that something has to die. It's not the physical body, though. It's your ego's worldview that must go, your ego's limited understanding, often programmed too by Archons. The ego's unwillingness to be on the soul-building journey at all costs is painful beyond belief. When we remove that, then we don't need suicide or even depression. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. In other words, kill your worldview and you will be resurrected. You will be free, free from the hologram and going into a soul-building adventure all the way to eternity. This is the best time to kill your worldview because it's obvious that sensible reality 
the old ways, and all cultural chimeras are falling apart. The world is obviously false, and so is your worldview. Kill it. That life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but life uh, finds a way. Your life is yours to create. You have so much potential, and you are amazing, and you are so beautiful. All you need to do is inspire and be inspired, and fuck all the heroes and villains and saviors. You are the final authority, have always been. You are the true sons and daughters of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. As Christopher Morley said, There are no presidents. You are the first you that ever was. Get busy living, or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. As a bonus, so you see Dick's full gnosis, I will include part of our interview with Eric Davis from a couple of years ago on his book, High Weirdness, where he speaks about Dick's divine madness and prophetic genius. You'll love it. Once a boy grows up, he projects his paranoia on the whole world. Let us end with a quote from Principia Discordia that describes who we are, unhinged from the hologram, eternal forever. Magicians, especially since the Gnostic and the Kabbalah influences, have sought higher consciousness through the assimilation and control of universal opposites. Good slash evil, positive slash negative, male slash female, etc. But due to the steadfast pomposity of ritualism inherited from the ancient methods of the shaman, occultists have been blinded to what is perhaps the two most important pairs of apparent or earth plane opposites, order slash disorder and serious slash humorous. Magicians and their progeny the scientists have always taken themselves and their subject in an orderly and sober manner, thereby disregarding an essential metaphysical balance. When magicians learn to approach philosophy as a malleable art instead of an immutable truth, and learn to appreciate the absurdity of man's endeavors, then they will be able to pursue their art with a lighter heart and perhaps gain a clearer understanding of it and therefore gain a more effective magic. Let us do our interview with Jack Hart on Technostics. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. We are living in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression 
that we were reliving the present deja vu, perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words, I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off. What was that? Everybody says, what was what? You say, that beam of light, that all those colors and, and lighted sections of different colors. And, and they say, I didn't see anything. And you say, well, that's not part of the movie. And then you realize this is all a movie to which we obligingly add space and time. This is the AM Byte interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Jack Hart to discuss uh, what I call the Technostics Trilogy. These include the books, The Technostics Heresies, The Technostics Codex, and Applied Technostics, a field guide for the collective conscious. Jack, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, it's great to be here, Miguel. I'm a big fan of your show, so it's a thrill for me. Well, I really enjoyed your books because your work is certainly red meat or mana from heaven. When it comes to our audience, you hit all the sweet spots that us modern heretics like. So it's going to be a great conversation. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just fine sitting here in my reality tunnel being bathed by pink beams uh well that's good yeah life is good and we're definitely going to cover the figures behind those two quotes but first of all jack let's talk about you and how you came to be who you are and how you came to write these books uh you've always been a seeker right absolutely you know yeah i was uh I was raised out on here on America's West Coast and, uh, you know, uh, grew up here in the West, uh, in the Wild West, uh, was a kind of a product of, you know, the youth culture uh, on the West Coast, really from my early days, uh, you know, with, in the uh, witnessing the countercultural 60s revolution through that uh, whole outgrowth of the human potential movement that kind of came out of that time um, through the rise of Silicon Valley and the whole computer personal computer revolution, uh, you know, and it's cyberpunk mutation, you know, right up to the high weirdness of our present day. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. I'm, I'm sure you must look back and said, what is going on with culture? It must be pretty hard to map out from the 60s to now. I mean, uh, do you ever look and just say, man, I, I can't figure this out. This must be some sort of crazy simulation we're in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, the truth typically is far stranger than any any fiction, so. Yeah, that is true. It is very true. And uh, why did you decide to write these books, and why three separate books? Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, specific to, to Gnosticism, strangely enough, um, again, being a product here on the West Coast uh, in decades past, uh, I was led to Gnosticism and my and uh, more specifically my interpretation of technosticism 
through uh, participating in the in the great postmodern mystery cult known to many people as the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so I was indoctrinated into the mysteries, you know, in the late 70s. But it wasn't until uh, Jerry and Mickey, I don't, those are uh, uh, dead connoisseurs would recognize those two names. Uh, but it wasn't until Jerry and Mickey did a symposium during one set of shows that I was at in the Bay Area. Uh, they, they did a symposium with Joseph Campbell called Ritual and Rapture from Dionysus to the Grateful Dead. Wow. And it was like a mind blower. And, you know, during that run of shows, that was back in 86, I think. And it was then that I really began to fully grasp the deep significance of what the dead were really up to, you know, through their, uh, through the, the Afro uh, diaspora that was rock and roll, the dead were tapping into unbroken chain, no pun intended, um, <laughs> reaching back to not to uh, uh, Gnostic thought and the Dionysian mysteries. Um, and I would note that uh, Joe Campbell went to those shows that I was at and uh, apparently he was he was quite taken by the dead, by the ambiance of the dead scene. And um, so it turns out that Joe and I were at the same shows together, which, you know, it's kind of cool. That is cool. And yes, uh, the Dionysian mysteries, especially when you go through the, the cult of Orpheus was very Gnostic, certainly influenced the classical Gnostics and yeah, the Grateful Dead. I never saw them, but it's uh, from what I hear, it's a shamanistic ritual. Well, you know, you know, cults of the dead, Miguel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the world, everybody's dead, according to the Gnostics. There's just a few <laughs> who need to wake up to 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 live and not taste that death, that ignorance. And have you heard any research? And I'm asking you this because uh, it's in my head. I'm reading this book about Hollywood. And it's exposing, of course, the dark underbelly of Hollywood and the West Coast. And, of course, we all know the occult, the CIA, uh, mafia, for some reason, all just crashed into the West Coast for a long time and is still in there. And I'm reading one part and it's going, OK, next we're going to talk about Leonard Cohen. And I'm like, oh, come on. Are there, are there no sacred? Can I have no heroes in this world? And I'm like, no. I really can't. I haven't had the uh, the courage to get to that part, but I'm going to have to get to that part. So asking you, have you heard of the research that claims that the Grateful Dead were a CIA ops or anything like that? You know, um, uh, like uh, a lot of uh, um, elements of consequence, you know, in our, in our near past, um, such as, you know, the, uh, psychedelic revolution um you know the the nefarious cia cia always seem to poke their noses into it and um and those rumors are are out there uh you know i've always had a sense that despite the intent even if even if such thoughts were you know of a cia cia origin it uh you know it's a phenomenon that just uh, got away from them and went feral you know, into the culture. <laughs> and uh, so consequently, I think that, um, you know, facets move in mysterious ways and they don't play out the way those who sought to control them ever anticipated. Yeah, that's definitely a good answer. And as uh, I've said before, 
anything that's uh, mind-altering, you know, the powers that be, the Archons are going to try to weaponize it. And then, of course, everything that's uh, bright casts a shadow. I mean, we all hear our proponents for LSD and entheogens, but there's a dark side, right, Jack? Some people get addicted, some people abuse it, and some people use it to hurt others. Well, and you know, and it's true. And and living in the you know living in the material world, um, you know, light is uh, you know we all are you know dancing in the light, and but we at the same time we're casting the shadow. Exactly. You know, so, yeah, and so that's you know that's part of uh, you know the 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 idea of coming to grips uh, or uh, uh, to utilize uh, young Jungian psychology to to you know participate in individuation and you know coming becoming whole from the the light and the darkness well said and uh, when was the first time you actually heard of gnosticism proper um so you know i i i guess i would blame um comic books <laughs> i guess i'd cast the blame on comic books because i uh, when I was a kid growing up, I was a big avid reader of comic books. And as I grew into my adolescence, I came across this obscure magazine. And I think it might've been a family member might've gotten me a subscription to it, but it was a magazine called man myth and magic. Oh. And uh, that's when I first started tapping into that. But, you know, uh, interestingly, I recall from, I don't know how long ago it was, but I remember an interview that I heard on the radio with R. Crumb, I'm sure you guys are familiar with R. Crumb, the old oh, yeah. comic. Oh yeah. And he, they, you know, they were asking him about his work, but at some point they asked the the interviewer asked him what his influences were, and he said, "Well, I guess I guess I'd have to describe myself as a Gnostic." And then he kind of launched on that, and uh, you know, one thing led to another. When was that a long time ago? Because I know his latest book or the book he did where he. Uh... Well, he depicted the Bible, I believe the Old Testament, and he did a very and he said I he said I am a Gnostic. Is this even before this? Yeah, this was this was before that was before that wow. came out, the Old Testament, which was a pretty pretty interesting work in and of itself. Have you oh, yeah. have you seen it? Yeah, I own a copy, yeah. Oh nice, nice. I, of course, of course you do. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so yeah, that was that was a while back. It was an interview. I can't, you know, I'd like I can't even place a decade now. But it was a while back. Uh, but I, well, not, but uh, you know, I ran across Gnostic thought and just, um, you know, of course the the, um, you know, researching the Dead Sea Scrolls and as that information came out, that was very intriguing stuff, and I picked that up at an early age. Very cool, and of course, Crumb did uh, his famous presentation of philip k dick and the pink beams so he must right. have known i mean obviously <laughs> you can't separate that event with gnosticism so and it's a it's a classic uh and still very popular uh well comic strip if you would and hey vance right. i always wanted to ask you when was the first time you ever heard about the gnostics i'm sure it wasn't a on by years ago no um actually in the 80s and I had very little idea of it. I think my first conception of Gnostics are people didn't didn't want to reproduce any more people on the earth, you know, <laughs> because you know we were giving more uh, people to the uh, demiurge. But it was about the same time that I was reading the Bible for the first time, and I noticed in Genesis that the uh, that the Yaldi was lying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
so yeah, it was, yeah, it was in the eighties. Uh, definitely did, but I don't remember exactly how where I heard it, but I was aware of it because I remember I'm seeing in my mind my old apartment in Sunnyvale, California, and uh, that's that I remember being in my car and thinking nice about the Gnostics. Yeah, well, it, it was right right north of 280. And it's not even a little part of You know, it's that. funny for me also, as I think about it, I think my first introduction to modern neo-Gnosticism had to have been the Principia Discordia. And we talked just briefly about that a little earlier, mm-hmm. um, Miguel. But, yeah. you know, then when, uh, you know, when they really brought in the whole Gnostic thought uh, as a punchline, which really resonated with me. Oh, wow. Tell us more about this. <laughs> yeah, we'd want to hear more because. <laughs> uh, well, you know, so you're the. In my mind, the Principia, as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, the Principia Discordia was the, uh, the, um, gospel, if you will, of Discordianism that was written uh-huh. back by, um, Gregory Hill, I think it was, and uh, Thorn Thornley, a guy named Thornley. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were, of course, visited in uh, back in the early 60s. They were visited by a, a theoric um, chimpanzee who who shared with them the mysteries of Discordianism. And uh, and as rumor has it, uh, at the end of his before disapparating, he rolled them a golden apple. And you know, I wasn't sure if it was a golden delicious or an honest to God gold <laughs> apple. But uh, and that led them to. Uh, the uh, goddess Eris and Discordianism, and they and they uh, wrote they wrote the Principia Discordia, and the rest is history. Yes, it's uh, definitely a, a very powerful revelation, and yeah, we want to get this, but definitely the theme of the ape and the chimpanzee goes through your books from many thinkers and many ideas. For some reason, I've had a sync lately with the planet of the apes. It just keeps appearing <laughs> that in Atlantis and maybe it's me projecting or it's a sync about the state of this country. Uh, we're either heading into the planet of the apes future or Atlantis future. So it doesn't look good either way, but damn dirty apes. Get your yeah. paw off me. <laughs> oh, of course you uh, know that that, of course that movie came out the same year as 2001, a space odyssey. Really? I didn't oh, yeah, that, that was the big dichotomy. That was the big, you know, AI f- future versus the uh, the de-evolution of uh, the planet of the apes. So it was quite the it was quite the watershed uh, year for science fiction movies. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, both are classic movies and definitely consciousness expanding. And as we're talking about, still part of our culture even today and still very relevant to today. So. Awesome. Yeah, I love this uh, culture stuff. It's, there's so much to it, and it's a, it's a wonderful labyrinth, and that's, I have to remind myself of this. But, um, Jack, tell us about the, well, getting to, more or less to the main event or the main theme. Tell us about the tech Gnostic path and why it is Gnostic. Or maybe you want to start, how did you come to it to say this is technostic this is a this is a system i can put together right well so you know i use the term technostics uh, the uh uh with a hyphenated uh tech uh you know two-part technostics as a metaphor to describe a system that is a balance of artifact and epiphany and so the tech component of course um is the 
the, the manipulation of tools or, or artifacts, and then the Gnostic component to the, the, the compound word is the knowledge, the intuitively derived knowledge. So, um, you know, technostics, for me, it kind of was spawned from the do-it-yourself cyberpunk uh, ethos of the 90s. And, and it kind of was uh, uh, that expression uh, that was kind of um, co-occurring with the armchair shamanism of the human potential movement. So, again, you know, the, the, tech, uh, uh, the tech component of the term was inspired by the rise of the new technologies or artifacts that we were seeing coming out of the information age. And the Gnostics half of the term, of course, comes from the biblical era. Uh, biblical era heretics, you know, from the Dead Sea. But if you're asking me why Gnostics with an S, because uh, there's kind of a component to that that I that it's, it's kind of it's interesting. Um, I landed on the word Gnostics versus Gnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, strangely enough, through uh, a, a guy named L. Ron Hubbard. I'm sure you guys are familiar <laughs> with his work. Oh no, I never heard of him. No. Right. So he did, so he so he back in the early. I mean, he was like one of the first guys back in '61 or '62. Might have been earlier. Might have been late '50s. But he wrote that book, Dianetics. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so Hubbard was originally a science fiction writer. He had created Dianetics uh, as a technology of human potential. Like he was one of the first guys to kind of go into that realm. And uh, it was really one of the first self-help. He was one of the first self-help gurus from the early 60s. Um, and he described the book, uh, Dianetics, as a mix of Western technology and Oriental philosophy. Now, although I'm not really a big fan of the Church of Scientology, in those days, I was really intrigued by his approach and his use of the word Dianetics with an S. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, part of my vision of technostics um, was to um, create a, a techno-shamanic field guide. And unlike Hubbard, my vision was driven uh, and was first and foremost uh, perceived as a parody or a prank, you know, in the fine tradition of Discordiaism, a la the Principia Discordia. Uh, so technostics was originally kind of a pun on Dianetics as, uh, you know, a uh, as a humorous take on the human potential movement. Yeah, very cool. And uh, as you write uh, in, you could say, in a very compressed way, the technostics path is really consciousness hacking, isn't it? And really, that's what L. Ron Hubbard was doing at the beginning before, well, before he before got the all. uniforms before yeah, the uniforms. exactly yeah he was doing these sort of a mixture of technology and shamanism to help people with their problems i mean i've heard a, on the lower level scientology can be very helpful for consciousness hacking exactly exactly and and you know we can talk more about that and uh, but that's that is correct and that was kind of the whole idea um that and again, for my time coming out of more of the 80s, 90s, you know, the whole explosion of uh, desktop publishing and the computer revolution and the rise of the science fictional cyberpunk genre really kind of drove that uh, uh, my interest in not only uh, the uh, digital media or the tech component, but also the 
Gnostic component or the, the more etheric um, revealed information, if you will. So in the 90s, so you must have enjoyed all these, uh, you might say, well, I think cyberpunk is very Gnostic at its core. But uh, in the 90s, there were certainly a lot of very cool Gnostic movies, like uh, obviously The Matrix, Dark City, Existence, Gattaca, uh, Truman Show. So uh, you must have you must have enjoyed all these very cool Gnostic movies in the 90s. Right. And, you know, and that really um, informed, uh, you know, not only myself, but a lot of us uh, informed our understanding of, you know, neo-Gnosticism or new Gnosticism. And, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, starting with Blade Runner, which, as we all know, is a brilliantly uh, rendered work from uh, Philip K. Dick. It was, uh, you know, they're still trying to equal that in terms of cinematic representation. Yeah, definitely agree with that. It still uh, stands the test of time. Uh, Jack, why do you see Gnosticism as the most applicable spiritual response to the times we live in? Well, that's a good question. But, you know, having recently fallen in, fallen in with a bunch of sh- uh, a shady bunch of characters who call themselves synchromystics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, too, kind of subscribe to the notion that we are living in Gnostic times. <laughs> and you know we've just you know I, i've i've heard you have that discussion with some of the uh some of uh some of my fellow uh synchromystics on uh, your show you know my approach to gnosticism is an aggregated one you know i'm drawing from many traditions uh both new and old but i think the central gnostic myth of a deranged jealous trickster god is an elegant spiritual response to the times we were living in. Yeah, I would uh, obviously I agree from uh, past shows, but something else you do mention and I should mention more often is that Gnosticism, since it's uh, an heir of Plato and uh, Pythagoras is definitely about expressing through myth. And I'm sure you find that very useful and very uh well again very useful and very important it, it, you know it is really useful to perceive our hypothesis as a mythology you know and, and one of the things that i've really appreciated actually about your show miguel is you've always you've always touched on that in your intros about you know creating your own myth you know and walking and walking your own path and that's really important because it it allows for a, a broader platform from, you know, from which to explore. Definitely. And when you see the world through myth, it makes, uh, it's not even more bearable, but it's more enlightening and you can get more detached. For example, I'm sure you agree, instead of seeing somebody like uh, Trump or other people from the government, if you see them as archetypal images and symbols, it's a lot easier to navigate. And of course, Jack, that's what the synchromistic movement does anyway, right? Right, right. Uh, perceiving, you know, the mystical in mundane um, existence. Uh, yeah, and that's true. And especially in looking at archetypical activity in individuals, it, really, it, helps, to, it helps to broaden an understanding of 
why certain things are occurring at this time, you know? And so um, if it turns out that um, we look at our uh, sitting president as a, as a uh, trickster character, it kind of adds a real dynamic to some of his actions and our response to them. Exactly. And that's for anybody. I mean, as Jung said, uh, all complexes have an archetypal core. The ego is a complex. So we all have that within us and we can understand uh, what's driving us, what's being projected out into reality from the collective uh, uh, unconscious. So it, uh, again, it it makes it a lot more bearable and easier to, I don't know about easier to understand, but easier to accept. Yeah, and, and I would add to that that it 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 creates more facets of receptivity. Mm-hmm. Allows you know it gives you just more angles from which to to judge what it is you're taking in. Exactly. And speaking of Jung, and I'm quoting uh, Laura London's wonderful podcast. But speaking of Jung, uh, you write a lot in all three of your books, the the Technostics trilogy that synchronicities are key for the technostics. Why is that? Um, I think that, uh, I think Jung's brilliance was in his identification and description of synchronicity. You know, I mean, obviously he did uh, a lot of great work with Jungian psychology and depth psychology, but um, I think that Jung successfully modernized a very ancient phenomena. You know, he argued that synchronicity, synchronicity is a causal in that it's not a- affected by sp- the space time continuum, you know, and, um, you know, I, we all experience synchronicity. You know, the modern logos of synchronicity is, uh, is typified as the 1111 transmission or the or the 11 11 past 11 cosmic trigger if you will mm-hmm. and uh tapping into or paying attention to that trigger facilitates more frequent experiences of synchronicity it's kind of a a self-feeding cycle um and as i wrote in the heresies um young synch- young's synchronicity is not merely a term used to describe meaningful coincidence. It is also a co- communicative mode, a conduit or a medium whereby the interconnectedness of all things, uh, separated as they are in space and time, where that interconnectedness occurs. Um, this is the meaningful coincidence that informs my, you know, the esotericism that I try to uh, to apply in technostics. Indeed, and I like how you wrote that even the I Ching is a form of synchronicity, according to Jung. Absolutely. It is a, you know, the the I Ching is a brilliant um, device that allows the uh, operator's ability to just focus on the exact moment when the query is put to the essentially the ancient binary computer known as the I Ching. Yeah, I've been doing the I Ching every morning, and it's it's not easy, Jack, because my ego really wants to rebel against it. I don't know <laughs> if you've had that. Yeah, I could feel it pushing against it, and I can feel this ideas and symbols coming through. It's uh, 
Well, any sort of enlightenment, you're going to get a rebellion from your ego, right? That's what it's there for, just to manage reality and nothing else. <laughs> uh, yeah, the monkey mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the monkey mind. And you say that the technostics path, and I love this, you say it's a conceptual chameleon. Tell the audience more about that. <laughs> well, you know, it serves, it serves for me. You know, right? This is my own kind of my own little science project, but uh, or art project, depending on how you look at it. But um, you know, it 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 serves many functions, and so um, you know, technostic for me, technosticism is just a reminder of the 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 great duality that um, you know we were born into. You know, and and. Uh, you know, we're, we were born into this world and we'll probably die in it, die out of it. Um, but while we're here, we're in that dichotomy, you know, that that application versus rest, the great dualism. And, and so for me, technostics represents that. But I also look at it as, you know, as a uh, as a um consciousness hacking tool or or manual which is i've tried to i've tried to put that out as a um as a means of uh facilitating autonomy and especially in these this day and age you know uh um personal autonomy is an important and uh um even at the risk of ego it's an important um perceptive filter from which to judge how crazy is this high weirdness that we're experiencing <laughs> getting for us all, you know? Yes. Yes. It's a lot. What did Jeff Kripal say? Uh, when, when people share their experiences, it's probably even weirder. And as you said, uh, yeah, reality is definitely stranger than, than fiction. And, uh, well, Vance, do you have any questions for Jack? Yeah, Jack, I was wondering, uh, what's your conception of Gnosis? I mean, how do you think of it and how does it, you know, fold into, um, you know, the technostics. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, for me, Gnosis is revealed knowledge or intuitively derived knowledge. And it's kind of the, um, it's kind of the, the synchronistic payoff of um of you know our perceptive uh, uh existence and so when we are given those flashes of insight uh and and oftentimes they're driven really by our own personal understanding of of the world we live in unique to us when we get when we get those flashes of uh, of insight that is in my mind the essence of gnosis uh, again, intuitively derived knowledge. Yeah, very good. Also, um, do you think there's also a two-way communication element to that? I mean, Gnosis would be kind of coming to us. And is there a way that we can communicate back even, you know, maybe in their world, uh, uh, synchronicities, <laughs> maybe they see 11-11 on their clocks or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, on their clock, it's 11 before 11. Uh, oh, <laughs> they run backwards like counterclockwise. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, I think it always is a two-way flow. And, you know, the, 
the uh, in the Gnostic metaphor, you know, I think that our intuitively intuitively derived knowledge is that intimate relationship with, uh, as Miguel, as you so eloquently put it, the God above gods. <laughs> and so there, that I think that two way flow is there, and I think that we, um, you know, part of our job is interpretation, and how it, and how that interpretation looks in the three dimensional world. I would say so too. Yeah, we can't do anything else but interpret things, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative to our understanding, our knowledge, our perceptual mechanisms, and so forth. Right. Human beings perceive reality through our minds, not through our bodies like other animals. So. Oh, the reality tunnel, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Bingo. Uh, and I must say that, yeah, the God above God is not mine. That's actually Paul Tillich. He's an Orthodox theologian. And he said it, I don't know about snidely, but he was talking about Gnosticism and how they posited a God above God, I think. Well, you go to the Gnostic text, they might say God beyond God or the alien God, but uh, it it definitely it definitely works. And I was just talking about uh, doing the I Ching in the morning, being more involved in it as my sort of uh, conduit to my unconscious and conduit to the or a synchromistic tool to the my outside world and how to interpret it as it interacts with my monkey brain, as we were talking about. <laughs> uh, and so, but I, I obviously have not beyond the fridge magnet spirituality and reading the books here and there years ago. I haven't really delved deep into Taoism, but you have, Jack. So, would you say Taoism has Gnostic qualities? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, um, I have uh, since an early age been really uh, inspired by Taoism. And I would argue that, in fact, well, and actually, in, you know, in book three of the uh, of uh, my trilogy, the Technostics Codex, I make the outrageous and libelous assertion that Taoism, that Taoism directly influenced Gnostic thought. You know, and, and my suspicion is that Taoist thought migrated west from ancient Asia to the Near East, where it would incorporate it into, you know, biblical era, Essene, and other mystery traditions. And I can't prove that in a court of law, but that's my suspicion. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we know there were Buddhist monks in 300 BC in Alexandria sent by King Osaka, who was a uh, evangelizing Buddhism across the world. So what, for example, what are some parallels that you would say with Taoism and Gnosticism, Jack? Um, I think that the, I think that the, 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 uh, the essential dichotomy of, of experience is, uh, is demonstrated both, in Taoism, you know, and and in, and in uh, other Eastern thought, but you know, the yin yang, the, the the classic Taoism symbol of of dualism, dualism, I think that that is echoed in Gnosticism in many ways. But I also, but I think that in uh, in one facet, it is um, it drives the whole dichotomy between the the Gnostic aesthetic and the God above gods that dualism. So there's always an interplay between light and darkness, you see. And I mean, even in Gnosticism, it's not 
as dualists as most people say, it's you're supposed to hold both the light and the darkness together in front of you and see right. it as a whole. Is that what Taoism does too? Well, absolutely. And and, and in the Taoist um, yin yang symbol, of course, is in the in the in the uh, the core of the dark half of the symbol is the the shard of white, and in the middle of the white half of the symbol is the little splinter of darkness. You know, the little dot. So those two absolutely dance. Very, very cool. Also, in your book, Applied Technostics, you talk about uh, there is a difference between a psychonaut, an intelligence engineer, and a technostic. All very three cool concepts. Explain to the audience what they mean. Well, um, so... A, you know, a psychonaut, I mean, I, I took this, you know, is, uh, from the uh, uh, classic description, a psychonaut is a sailor of the mind, which is kind of the ancient Greek root of the word psychonaut, right? So to be a psychonaut is to be a, a sailor of the mind. Now, I realize that this term is often associated with entheogenic use, but, you know, especially in my mind, there are other uh, yogic methods that are more accessible and less controversial uh in terms of of apply of of um pursuing uh the psychonautic path now an intelligence engineer the way i describe it is a sailor of the mind who actively seeks to define to refine and to self-program her psychonautic experience this would be in keeping with um you know the pioneering uh, psychonauts such as john Lilly and his metaprogramming metaphor um and so um a, a technostic is one who in their intelligence engineering seeks to the balance of artifact and epiphany uh, as i mentioned earlier um that's um you know that approaches the whole consciousness hacking concept with intent adding adding the balance you know adding the intent or the will and balancing that with the moment of repose or the silence in uh as this as the balancing half of the contemplation um i would also add um rather self-servingly that uh, a technostic is someone who's been exposed to the mind virus of my books like the plasmate of Philip K. Dick, huh? when he says, "Yeah, he says the Nag Hammadi Library was uh, was sort of a virus, raw information that got released into the world." So yours would be the same too. In 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 a uh, in a more uh, in a more uh, um, parody sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Although you never know what Dick was, how serious he was. I mean, he did like to do that. Shuck and jive. He was always uh, oh, right. a typical person who would say something offensive and then say, man, I'm just joking. So he might have been doing that in his writing at times. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> he was a trickster. Well, let's talk about some Philip K. Dick. Uh, tell us about when you first encountered Phil and what was his impact on you, your work. Right. You know, it's funny. Um, um, I, I want to. I'll talk about myself in my my younger age when I first ran into Dick. But 
you know, it's interesting that before you were talking earlier about Hollywood and before Hollywood got sucked into totally only doing super comic book stories, epics, they went through a phase of almost exclusively doing Philip K. Dick movies. I mean, so Dick has inspired, uh, you know, the Western world ever since Blade Runner came out and, um, you know, a ton of other, uh, a book, you know, like, uh, what was one Arnold Schwarzenegger did, uh, total recall, total recall. Thank you. There's uh-huh. a ton of the movies that came out, but, uh, but for me, uh, I digress a little bit. So for me, when, uh, I was introduced to Philip K. Dick. I, I had a, uh, I had this great high school English teacher. He was also my soccer coach and he taught a course at, uh, at the high school I attended, uh, um, that he called science fiction as a cautionary tale. And that is where I was first introduced to Philip K. Dick. You know, we went through some of the classics like the Martian Chronicles and um, remember the short story, the Sentinel, which became 2001. Um, But uh, that's where I first came across his work. Um, And I, you know, I was, I was drawn to, uh, I was drawn to the, you know, the psychological twists in his writing and one of the things that I really liked about uh, Philip K. Dick was his uh, was uh, his uh, actually I think it was pretty pioneering. I think he pioneered the whole concept of you know uh, alt reality or alternative realities in his writing, such as the Man in the High Castle. You know where where Nazi Germany wins the war. That you know that metaphor kind of came back to bite us too. But but you know. You know, Dick's, uh, Philip K. Dick's impact was, uh, for me, it was driven by his later Gnostic narratives, you know, like in Vallis as uh, the classic example, you know, and his shocking realization that the empire never ended. And there were certain things that came out of his work that have really resonated and proliferated in our modern culture. You know, this... Uh, uh, this concept of a pervasive arconic power structure uh, power structure in the in the ancient greek sense of of the word archon uh you know it most accurately defines the parapolitical world we're living in today yeah, i would definitely agree with that i mean uh yeah we've talked a lot about philip k dick on the show and you mention him a lot do you have a, a favorite book from dick or favorite two or three books uh, you know, of course, the Vallis books. Um, I think The Man in the High Castle was good. Um, some of his shorts, some of his uh, collected works I really enjoyed. Um, but, you know, he, uh, I think that he was probably more influential to me when he, again, in his later life, when he was really grappling with where his science fiction was bleeding into his uh his real world his mm-hmm. his uh perceived world and this the way he grappled with that and then he put out that completely insane exegesis <laughs> you know i mean that's you i'm sure you've read it miguel if you if, if it's possible to read it i think you experience <laughs> it it's such a monster and i'm like just, yeah, no, yeah. I, I haven't made it all the way through it, but you know, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of use it like the I Ching, where I'll open exactly. to a random page. <laughs> that's the that's the best way to do it. Is it, it really is the I Ching of the future or the present? Because uh, every time <laughs> yeah, you open it, you, it just blows your mind. 
yeah. what his mind was going through. And um, I think, uh, yeah, you t- I mean, you are dealing in your works, your three books about technology and how we have to deal with it and make it work for us. And the same thing with entheogens, because if we don't, like you say, the, the archons are going to use the pharmaceuticals and technology to really suppress us. And I know science fiction usually started with uh, how technology was going to be, was positive and create a utopia and so forth. And, cyberpunk and philip k dick too sort of switched that and said no it's uh neutral at best and it might even be evil at worst and depends who has their hands on it that will win the day and technology isn't even about human advancement but is about reality manipulation and dick was definitely the master of that and again here we are on 2020 and um more relevant than ever, I would say. But I'd like to bring you, Vance, uh, bring you in, Vance. You've been reading a lot of Dick lately, and I've sort of asked you, well, do you see Dick as more relevant today, or what insights have you had recently with your uh, your voyage into Dick's, Dick's mind? Well, um, a lot of what I've read um, more recently is some of the lesser-known works, and boy, was he into the nuclear holocaust post, you know, the post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Uh, so many of his short stories were about that. Um, but uh, I think it's relevant to uh, not necessarily, I mean, things like the man in the high castle and the arconic things and Ferris Fremont and Radio Free Albemuth, you know, as as the kind of representative of the archonic government that's definitely relevant i see in dick is more uh, what i see shining through is his journey uh, spiritually you know his uh, 2374 experience it, that that comes out in a lot of the later knowledge a lot such as phallus rfa of course was pretty much just a um you know a uh, a recount of the whole thing so that's that's about. I don't. I mean, I don't think he imagined some of this. Uh, well, Chris, artificial intelligence. He had robots all over the place. <laughs> so, so from that standpoint, yeah. How how can I forget that? That is very relevant today because we still haven't gotten to the point where we're going to have to deal with some of the issues that he brings up uh, with the mankind's relationship to you know artificial uh, creatures, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, from those standpoints, a lot of stuff is dated, you know, uh, right. a lot of technology dated. <laughs> I love you it. Know, when you talking about the robot spools, and, but he's very creative. Kind of, you know how Star Trek kind of got away from trying to be too hokey with future technology by just kind of being big? Well, he, uh, Philip K. Dick, he invented terms um, for things that weren't familiar, weren't part of current technology of the 60s and 70s that were foreign. So it let your imagination run wild and it didn't predict what we have now, which all this digital solid state stuff. But um, Right. Well, you remember too, you remember Vance that in the, in the appendix of the, of uh, Valis, which itself is, is a pretty mind bending concept of, uh, va- vast alien how, what, yeah. um, oh living, living organs. intelligence system. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. right. I mean that's wild. But in but in in the appendix, of course, he did the the truncated uh, exegesis, and that's where I first came across the concept of the empire never ended. It's like wow. 
Yeah, that was just part of yeah part of his experience because he uh, had an experience where he had kind of woke up and he was in that era. Right. Yeah. He had he had the time slip. Right. So uh, Martian time slip. <laughs> that was another one of his that I read. They're all blending together. I've read too many at once. You know, I think I must have read. I must have read twenty of his books in the last six months. You know, just wow. Yeah. You're not having like dreams or experiences. Oh, I wish. I wish, but no, <laughs> no. A couple I've read um, uh, again, like Ubik. I read that again. The Vows trilogy. I read again. It's like reading a different book, you know, the second time around. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It is indeed. And here's a, another question for you, Vance, because uh, I was thinking Dick obviously suffered a lot with mental issues, perhaps drugs or relations problems. Uh, and he, you could say he was very tormented through most of his life, but towards the end of his life, he came to peace. It's almost like, that Gnostic experience he had to go through that hell. Once you see the world for what it is, he found the serenity and even people like Tessa Dick and friends say he was at peace towards the end. And suddenly, Oh my God, they're making a big Hollywood movie over one of my stories. Ridley Scott invited him to watch some of the screenings. I mean, life was good. And then, well, it seems like the Archons weren't going to have it right. He had to go. But I always yeah. wonder. I wonder if it's almost it's a pity that Dick didn't write. That if he'd lived, he probably mo- would have written a lot of insights on how to heal the mind, how to be better, and all that during the mid '80s. Have you ever wondered about that? That uh, he might have been like the here's twelve steps to get your shit together after you've had a Gnostic <laughs> experience. You know what I mean? This is how I did it. This is how I, I found. Don't know. Me. I, my, my idea, and maybe I just don't have enough information, is that he never really did solve the mystery that he was trying to unravel, you know, that's evident in the exegesis. I mean, he was at peace. He had more of a um, material world success toward the end, obviously, right. uh, because he was poor most of his life, you know. But uh, I don't think he ever quite – he had so many different variations on, you know, who Vallis was, Zebra – um, all, all sorts of things, but there was a core to it. And I'm, I don't think he was the kind of person to actually become the guru. You know, he kind of made fun of gurus. <laughs> he made fun of Alan Watson. Well, well, not really made fun of him. Really? He had Alan Watson in one of his uh, yeah, novels. Yeah, it was, uh, who was it? He was on the houseboat and it was uh, about Marin County. Oh, you know, I can't remember titles uh, of the stories, but um something shade tree or somebody <laughs> yeah the the main female protagonist uh, oh oh it's oh gosh now i can't i can't I can't bring up the title but yeah he had alan watson there and i don't think he was a big fan of gurus to tell you the truth you know, and vance you may recall that in the in, in the uh, the opening uh uh pages of valis philip k dick does reference the grateful dead no, I didn't catch that. Really? Yeah, he uh, he references the Grateful Dead, and they, he's talking about he the, the girlfriend in the in Vallis, um is talking about the uh, the song Casey Jones that was popular when that when that when he wrote that book. Oh, okay, okay. You know, didn't catch that. Yeah, well, you know, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll have to well, go that back was Linda Ronstadt, right? The what you call it, the um, Fox. You know, mm-hmm. she was, I think, uh, actually Linda Ronstadt. Oh, and David Bowie was in there too, as uh, oh right, yeah, in in Vallis, Yeah, he plays. Uh, God, what was? They go see the movie, The Man Who Fell from Earth. Uh, oh, that's a I, that's a sort of a spoof movie in 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 Vallis. Yeah, one of my old favorites from when I was younger. Yes, yes, so much, yeah, so much importance. And uh, do you have a what do you anything else you want to say about Dick Jack, or do you want to switch roles and be my sidekick and grill Vance for a few minutes? <laughs> I'm well done altered, already. Altered realities, <laughs> everything's switching. <laughs> Vince, uh, Vance is, you know, you're kind of the, the go-to on uh, Philip K. Dick. You've been uh, uh, revisiting all his works. Is there any one particular um, um, psycho device that uh, popped out at you in the rereading of some of his works? Uh, psycho device in terms of what What do you mean by psycho device? Well, you know, he, he was – I always enjoyed the way he always had real, you know, the, the psychological twisters in his books and uh i don't know if i want to describe it any more uh succinctly but just if was was there anything that really jumped out at you that uh like that, in uh, ubik where we were talking about the beginning the oh. dead grateful dead and ubik the dead are really alive and the live are really dead it's like that yeah. one thing <laughs> well in Vallis, i love how he splits himself up into two people oh That's, right that's that that is just far out i mean yeah horse lover fat yep <laughs> that so that's that has to be and you know he did the same thing in uh in radio free albumuth because right. um it, it was autobiographical obviously but um yeah, nick and uh and phil you know, of course phil right. was himself and nick was himself nick was so he split himself up into the mundane same thing as in valis uh, in the mundane uh, you know, logical guy and the mystical guy. You know, he was right. he put those two up. That's, that's my favorite device that he used. Yeah, he do, he definitely does that a lot. The duality of man, the higher and the lower self, and how reality is split. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Well, the, three stigmata uh, it go weird yeah, because that um, uh, what you would call it. Uh, 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 Palmer Eldridge winds up at the end. I hope this isn't a spoiler. Winds up uh, like poking into everybody's reality <laughs> might up <laughs> multiplying himself so i'm not sure if palmer eldritch was evil or good at this point or, or <laughs> neither you know but uh the first time i thought i read it i thought he was good but the second time through i kind of saw him as kind of pervasively evil intrusive you know poking his head into everybody's reality but maybe phil's trying to say you know the real the con the grand consciousness actually is part of us all you know Wow, yeah, and definitely in uh, A Scanner Darkly, you have the main character whose brain is destroyed. His consciousness basically split because of the drugs, right? That's right. He's too feeble. Yep. So, uh, and they took advantage of him. As we get to the end, Jack, do you have an online presence, or would you like to tell the audience where to find out more about you? Well, absolutely. I appreciate that opportunity. Um, So, the trilogy, my the three books... Um, the Technostics Heresies, the Applied Technostics, and the Technostics Codex—they're available on Amazon and uh, and and iBooks, etc. Those sites. 
I also do signed copies that I sell directly on my website. And the uh, web address is www.technostics.com. Um, so that, uh, that site is like, it's, it's my mothership. You know, that's that, that's where it houses all my databases and, you know, archives. And, uh, it also, uh, uh is the portal to, um, the, the premium website. I, uh, where I do, uh, uh, a, a membership site and then there are, you know, there's access to some, uh, premium features there. Um, I can also be found at technostics.blogspot.com, and uh, that's my uh, my weblog. That's where I, you know, kind of I, I do a, a, probably two or three uh, installments a month at on the blog site, and that also I have links there also to my YouTube channel and the Instagram portals. So uh, yeah, you can find me there. Awesome. And the audience, definitely check it out and check out his books. This is uh, Gnosticism for Modern Times. And this is necessary as uh, technology, the American archons, the pharmaceuticals are coming for us. So we better fight back. The aeons better bite back, as I sometimes like to say. So good gnosis. But uh, first of all, Vance, thanks for uh, coming and keeping us company as always. Oh, it was a lot of fun, huh? Uh, PKD, RAW, and everybody else. What more could you want? Well, Jack, I really appreciate you coming on Aeon Byte. Really enjoyed talking to you. And good luck with your books and your continued journey into hacking consciousness. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And there you have it, my beloved True Seekers. The first part of our interview with Jack Hart on his Technostics books. The high weirdness only continues. In our second part, Jack discusses more about Robert Anton Wilson and Timothy Leary. And this includes a useful eight-circuit model that is terrific for consciousness hacking. Jack will share applied technostics, exercises which are also really terrific for consciousness hacking. We'll get into the prophecies of Marshall McLuhan and go into some extraterrestrial topics like Foo Fighters, cargo cults, and UFOs in general, and much more. As a bonus for patrons at Patreon and AB Prime members, I will include part of our interview with Eric Davis from a couple of years ago on his book, High Weirdness, where he speaks about Dick's divine madness and prophetic genius. So become an AB Prime member of Patreon at Patreon for the full Pink Bing Valis delight. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You won't find this Gnostic and Hermetic content or many of our guests anywhere in cyberspace or meat space. When you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership includes full access to the archives with more than 500 episodes, 14 years of quality interviews. 
You'll also get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and the Discord channel where many past guests hang out there and I'm always there to answer your questions. Even support in the form of some shekels to PayPal or the US mail really, really helps. Don't forget I'm offering voiceover services if you need some audio for your projects. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list as I always need equipment in this universe of entropy. Finding Hermes is alive and so are our virtual Alexandria exclusive private meetings. That includes spiritual and mental exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a whole lot of stimulating conversation on many heretical topics and a Q&A. I've already given lessons on Gnostic chants, vowel magic, astral ascents, mystical Eucharist, and much more. You can do so many wonders. I just know it. I just know it. And together we are the true song of the counterculture. Always saying yes to the divine. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.